Hi, and welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast. Here we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I am Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist and founder of Restore Body Balance. And I'm Nico Yatanis, co-producer of this podcast, and I'm going to be asking Colleen a couple of questions about today's topic. And today's topic involves reducing stress during times of panic. So the World Health Organization just declared the coronavirus a pandemic, which can feel kind of stressful. In this time of panic or stress, do you have any tips on how people can reduce stress? I sure do, Nico, and they are going to come right from scientifically based ways to antidote stress. Specifically, my training at the Benson Henry Institute at Mass General Hospital in concert with Harvard Psychiatry. Here we learned ways to take that stress-based response of fight or flight and provide what we used to even call minis, which are small, manageable ways throughout the day that when we feel stress coming on, we can antidote it. That's awesome. I never heard of minis before. You mentioned before we started this podcast, two methods of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and mindfulness-integrative cognitive behavioral therapy. Could you explain a little bit how that can be incorporated into reducing stress in a time of panic? Sure. So cognitive behavioral therapy is based on what we call your schema or the ways in which you view the world which are our cognitions. So I will often say to a client, if they've ever had an eye exam, I will squint across the room at my clock and say, let's say that I can't read the clock and I'm squinting, squinting, squinting. So I might pop up to the local lens crafters and say, jeepers, I think I need corrective lenses. And so you have the eye exam and they put the machine in front of you and they click it. Is it better with lens one or lens two? And you invariably come out of there with a prescription and that prescription corrects the distortion. So it's correcting the way we're filtering, in the case of our eyes, our cones and retina, filtering the information in the light. But in terms of our brain, we're actually learning to filter the information in a different way. And in therapy, over time, we take maladaptive ways of coping and thinking, like panic, perseveration, in this case, probably catastrophizing. And we learn to interrupt that cycle of thinking into more adaptive ways. So with mindfulness and mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy, we just have that added benefit of incorporating mindfulness in this technique. That's great to know. I think that a lot of businesses are even doing that instead of panicking or catastrophizing their adapting and they're doing virtual work or zoom video conference calls and everyone's adapting even colleges which leads me into my next question so as a therapist what are you telling your patients or how are you adapting to the new climate of the coronavirus yeah well in my personal private practice of restore body balance i'm personally giving people the option to do video therapy or teletherapy i'm fortunate enough to have already had a hipaa compliant system in place but for those folks of course that come in you know what we're hearing is to basically follow the protocol and the protocol is 
be very mindful. There was a great article, and I think it was the Washington Post that I sent to a bunch of people about just touching your face. You know, we are in a culture of, you know, putting our hand on our chin, maybe, you know, in a thinking posture on our face and or touching our face or mouth. And so what they're saying from the Center for Disease Control is that it's the number one mode of transmission, right? Eyes, ears, nose and mouth is how this virus is, as we know now, is the way of entering the body. So if you touch a door handle or you are on the train, just really practicing good hygiene. In terms of me meeting with my patients, I'm doing what the CDC and Massachusetts at this point in time is enacting, which is if you're sick, if you're sniffly, you know, you basically self-quarantine yourself and following the rules if you develop a fever and contacting your local health center or primary care physician. But as far as those folks that already have anxiety or folks entering my practice, the first thing I'll say to them is, how are we going to antidote the stress? And number one is get the facts and get the facts from a reputable source like the World Health Organization, WHO, or the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. That's a really good point because in this world, anyone can post whatever they want and kind of cause a catastrophe, which would lead to stress. And I know we talked about in last episode how deeply stress impacts our immune systems, but could you touch on it a little bit? Because I think with the coronavirus, our immune systems are also involved as well. Right, so last week we talked about gut health and the immune system. So I can't reiterate enough about eating healthfully, eat a rainbow of fruits and vegetables, but also, yes, there is research coming out, new research that talks about even stressing about getting the coronavirus is impacting our immune systems. So let's go back again to my training at the Benson Henry Institute for SMART, which is stress management and resiliency training. The resiliency is how we basically stop what we talked about is allostatic loading on the body. So think about the fundamentals of when we go into the stress-based response. So your blood is going to your fists to fight or your feet to flee. But think about what's happening. You're actually taxing your body to actually have all of that blood go. So the oxygen is being diverted to those muscles. And if we're hanging out there too long, it absolutely creates what we call wear and tear on our system. So running for the train, you know, dodging something, hitting the brakes. We talked about this, I think a few weeks ago, that's normal stress, which is what we call allostasis. We're all alive today because we can float in between the sympathetic fight or flight and the parasympathetic of rest, relax, rest, restore, rest, digest. That's normal, that's allostasis, but allostatic loading or oxidative stress is where we don't wanna be. So if you go back to that idea of antidoting stress, concepts that might be interesting would be antidoting stress in an everyday activity. So this is why we call Restore Body Balance the combination of psychology, biology, and neurology. So the biology of the brain goes into fight or flight. We either think or we feel, and then the body ensues. So I will tell my clients, okay, we have to get very in tune with what are your triggers? So going on the internet, going on sources that are meant to scare, you know, certain vendors are, you know, doing this 
price gouging, which also drives up panic. So let's go back to check the facts. Check the facts. That's actually part of uh, therapy that's called ACT, Action Commitment Therapy. That's also out of a movement of positive psychology. So check the facts and then go back to that, correct the distortion. How do we correct our distortion? So, you know, every time we find ourselves running off, going down the rabbit's hole, panicking, clicking away through the internet, we have to catch ourselves at some point. And every time we catch ourselves, we're antidoting stress. That's very valuable information and it made me think of personally if i ever have a strange symptom and i'll google something on webmd so it's like knowing myself and taking it with a grain of salt that if i google i don't know i have a cough so that will like almost trigger stress within me and then i'll be like oh it's over but i think that knowing myself and knowing that that is more or less a trigger to google a symptom that you have for a fleeting moment and falling into a trap of the web. And that's something that I think we can all take away from this is that the web can be tricky. I mean, it can be a web, like a spider web where it can trap you and you can fall into the trap of panicking. Right, and that just reminded me of something, which is that stickiness quality, right? So mm -hmm. I'll, I'm gonna take your analogy and run with it, Nico, because think about, you're right. Think about how a spider web functions, right? It's designed to trap from a sticky quality, from an entangled quality, right? And this goes back to some of my training in Buddhism and, and psychotherapy, where they actually, in Buddhism, will talk about sticking your head in the sand and how we like to go into our comfort zones in our hiding places. And they actually call that a cocoon. So you think about what a spider does in terms of trapping its prey and then wrapping them up so that he can't escape. The internet can be both you know, a foe and also for productive reasons. But right now it just leads us down that rabbit's hole. It just entangles us in, in the immediate gratification of just clicking, clicking, clicking mm -hmm. um, is intoxicating. And, and when we've talked about my, you know, again, that idea of psychology, biology, neurology, that is where we can take that you know, automatic pilot, like I said, you know, the art of mindfulness, well, you, you asked me a few minutes ago about mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy. So again, our cognitions are the way in which we view the world, our MO, if you will, your modus operandi. So we know the ways of thinking and behaving. We know our own Achilles heel, like you going on WebMD. And, and I've fallen victim to it as well. I mean, I did yesterday. I have emails from my pediatric uh, office, my dentist office saying no need to stockpile no need to panic we're fully equipped and then literally went to bed feeling comforted and safe and woke up to the cdc saying yep you need to stockpile <laughs> so you know our emotions all over the place and we can only do our best to a not panic right because we know in panic fight or flight we're not making good decisions we're increasing oxidative stress so in mindful-based cognitive behavioral therapy we take those cognitions and we antidote the stress, right? But as I say, we are not amenable to change in fight or flight. So with mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy, we absolutely take a mindfulness activity and we get into the parasympathetic nervous system where we are amenable to change, 
We're amenable to rational thinking. We're amenable to actually trying to antidote the stress. But again, once we're in fight or flight, panicking, stress-based response, you might as well be a little kid at Target plugging his ears, having a temper tantrum because he wants the toy. We can't hear it. That's a great point. So going off of that, could you give a couple of examples of good mindfulness activities to do during times of panic or stress? Absolutely. So the backdrop of this is in true meditation, we learn to sit and that's the hardest thing, which is learning to sit or stay, right? And it's almost like having a little puppy where he happily comes over to you, but you say, stay. And then you try to move back, but the puppy comes towards you and you say, stay. It becomes very addictive to have us run simulations in our brain because our brain is trying to protect us, right? It wants to catastrophize, to come to some foregone conclusion that we've made up in our head because it thinks it's solving the problem. So in true mindfulness and meditation and we're sitting, we keep coming back to the breath. Your mind wanders, we come back to the breath. Our mind wanders again, we come back to the breath. And that is teaching those neural patterns, which is why we go to the neurology of the practice. Neural patterns are just habituated ways of thinking and behaving. So what we want to do is retrain the brain to stop going down those paths. And every time, let's take a true meditation moment, which is maybe 20 minutes sitting, listening to a podcast or an app or just ways you've trained yourself to meditate. If you've caught yourself wandering 75 times, maybe 2000 times in 20 minutes, a practice every day of 20 minutes you will, after a few weeks, not have 2,000 wandering off. Maybe you might have 1,900. Maybe if you had 75, maybe you now have 55. And it's cumulative, right? And what we've learned from that is it doesn't go away. So even if you have a bad couple of days, if you get back to your meditation practice, you go back to where you left off. Where we sort of took this is with the minis. Could that afford you? Is 20 minutes a day for two weeks, is that the same as maybe having a couple of these minis throughout the day? And what we did find is that it's true. So we might've talked about this the last podcast, but you know, the reason I use the habituated brain is that just like tying your shoes or riding a bike, your brain will do things to say, I'll just automate that for you to free up for other tasks that are more eminent. So I'll ask people, for example, you know, what do you do every day? Are you driving your car? Do you brush your teeth? Do you have a cup of coffee? Do you wash your face? Do you have to swipe into a building? I see a lot of medical people, so they have to take their badge and swipe into the building. You can pair that parasimus response with a mindfulness activity. One might be the 478 breath that we talked about before, and you can find that on YouTube or Dr. Andrew Weil's website, and he demonstrates that for you. But the premise is you breathe in through your nose to the count of four, you hold it for the count of seven, and you breathe out for the count of eight. As a matter of fact, just taking two deep breaths is guaranteed to get you into the parasympathetic nervous system. And, you know, again, I'm wondering for you, Nico, do you have any habituated behaviors that we might be able to give an example with? Uh, sure. Um, I think I, you mentioned it already, but having a cup of coffee is very 
meditative for me. Like I enjoy my cup of coffee, even if I'm somewhere where there's a lot of noise and external stimulus, just taking a moment to appreciate the taste of my coffee is something that I can do to kind of shut out the noise and shut out everything. And I have a specific example that I can think of because while you were talking, I was thinking sometimes we don't even know that we're stressed. And a good thing that modern technology does is sometimes it'll let us know when we're stressed or when we're in a rush. My Apple Watch, for example, notifies me sometimes and it says, oh, you need to take a second to breathe. And sometimes, honestly, I want to chuck it in the Charles, but I think that sometimes it works. Sometimes when it's like, oh, you need a second to breathe. And if I have something like a coffee with me, I'll be like, okay, I'll just take a second and drink my coffee and enjoy it. That's a great example. And you know, you can even be in a coffee shop and still have a mindfulness moment with coffee. I often ask people to get the five senses engaged, right? So you are holding your cup of coffee. Even if you took 30 seconds or a minute just to appreciate your cup of coffee, right? Mm -hmm. So like, what do you see? And what do you hear? And what does it smell like? What does it taste like? And, you know, you can just slowly bring it up to your mouth and get the aroma and you get the taste. You can look around you, staying present. There was a wonderful uh, joke with the Dalai Lama once with one of his uh, students where he was reading the paper and drinking a cup of coffee. And the student called him out and said, wait a minute, I thought you were supposed to be you know, doing one task at a time. And he said, well, I am. I'm having my breakfast and I'm reading the paper. As long as we're ensconced in one thing and it's for positivity, not going down the rabbit's hole, you can take something like having a cup of coffee into a mindfulness moment. And then think about that power of the habituated brain. If you just cue yourself every day to say, I'm going to grab my favorite mug. So in my practice, I might say to somebody, either grab your favorite mug or buy Buy a new mug, right? And it doesn't have to be expensive, but that cue of, oh, I have a new mug. We, I think we talked last week about brushing your teeth, right? Mm -hmm. And I often gift uh, people signing up for one of my programs a Quip toothbrush because when they see it at night, they'll say, oh gosh, Colleen wants me to brush my teeth mindfully. But we can take anything and make it into a habituated mindfulness or meditative activity. That's a great point. Another thing that I realized that I use for mindfulness are diffusers. I don't know if any of you have a Muji around you, but walking into Muji and taking in the scent of the diffusers really helps you just de-stress. I do. I actually have two in my children's room, um, probably for my son's, you know, teenage sneakers, but mainly um, they're uh, for my daughter. She loves to, when she does her homework, she puts her diffuser on because it creates a wonderful sense of calm. That goes back to olfactory being the number one memory recall. And I'm probably repeating myself, but I will say it every week in my practice. When I teach somebody a meditative or mindfulness activity, we will take something even simple, like I think we mentioned a chapstick, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you take a memory, a beautiful memory that you have, a vacation, a moment, a memory with a loved one, a memory of you, maybe even something hiking, something that was beneficial to your life, and you remember how good it felt in that moment, and then we pair it with something that stimulates that olfactory. So for, for me, I mentioned in my book, it's a fireplace. I love the smell of a wood-burning fire, and it transports me back to 
days of a ski house in Warren, Vermont. I can't not smile when I smell a fireplace. So I'll take something like that. Or if you have, you know, you smell a cookie or something that was a family recipe or your favorite home cooked meal, it immediately gives you that sense of why we call it comfort food, right? It's, a, it's eliciting a memory that makes us feel safe and warm. So, you know, I would encourage anybody listening to take a memory they have and pair it with something. You know, again, in my practice, we have the wonderful credenza where I have, you know, at least 50 different things that somebody can look at and take home with them to antidote the stress by pairing it with something that's hopefully not only tactile, but mainly the olfactory. Mm -hmm. And you can even switch up your scents, almost like the mug that you were mentioning before, where if I know Muji has one that's called relax, one that's called love, happy, and you can switch up your sense and trigger that olfactory response for different memories to elicit different emotions. That's awesome, Nico. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I often give people, I have a lot of lavender in my office and back at my training days of McLean Hospital here in Massachusetts, it's a Harvard teaching hospital. I would teach people mindfulness and meditation and we would make eye pillows, for example, and I would buy tea bags that had lavender in them or chamomile. And anybody can do this at home, by the way. You just get even like a, go to CVS and get a stocking and you fill it with flax seeds, which are inexpensive and they're obviously add weight and you just, you know, can make a, an eye pillow with your favorite teas or your favorite herbs. And um, I think you're mentioning a great point depending upon what we're trying to elicit. So some people like peppermint, some people like lavender and any of those scents. Actually, it is proven from, you know, a lot of our natural homeopath. Well, I guess it's homeopathy um, when you're looking at herbs. Um, it does give us a sense of calm. It really does. So everyone knows their own schedule and can incorporate these mindfulness moments into many meditations within their daily lives. Yeah. And so, you know, as far as our, you know, global pandemic that you start up the podcast off with, I really just encourage people to find their own sense of safety, but without panicking, you know, if a small amount of, you know, not using the word stockpiling, but if a small amount of preparedness makes you feel comforted, then that's perfectly fine. You know, buying a hundred boxes of something or us worrying about toilet paper and paper towels, which is what I'm hearing the most of, and buying tons of NyQuil and DayQuil. Well, let's think about this. We're also given the facts that if you're a healthy young person or even just a healthy person in general, we're going to survive this, right? There's always outliers and we don't know how things are going to affect us, but you're not going to need 17 bottles of NyQuil, right? You know, protect yourself, washing your hands, not compromising your immune system, getting plenty of sleep, you know, getting um, proper nutrition, and again, antidoting the stress, right? So pick something that's habituated. You know, I think I mentioned once getting to a stop sign, right? Getting to a red light, 
turn that into a mindfulness moment. Catch yourself, am I gripping the wheel, right? You mentioned another piece, like where do you find stress in your body? You, you can sense that. We all know where it comes from. In Buddhism and uh, mindfulness, they call it Shenpa, which is where we get that bad feeling. So we might find ourselves clenching our jaw. We might find ourselves tensing our shoulders. We might find ourselves furrowing our brow. The mindfulness app, the breathing app on the phone is amazing, but put something in your phone. Put something in your phone four times a day as a reminder that even if you look at it twice and you just say, am I clenching? Am I, you know, tense in my shoulder? And then find, like do a little body scan and just take those couple of deep breaths and relax that part of the body. Believe it or not, it's muscle memory. The more we learn to antidote these parts of our body and where we're holding our stress, that habituated brain and the ability to mitigate and antidote the stress is a lifelong, wonderful way to manage stress and anxiety. I completely agree. And on the subject of washing your hands, you can even make preparation fun. I saw this thing spreading on social media where there's this generator where you can type in a song and it comes up with the lyrics for how long you should wash your hands for. Get out. So if you have a song like any song, like Billie Eilish song, for example, and you can type it into the lyrics generator and it'll show you, okay, while you wash this side of your hand, here are some of the lyrics that you should be singing along to while you wash your hands. That's great. I heard once even just singing happy birthday, mm -hmm. the entire happy birthday song um, is enough time. Don't quote me on that because I don't know. So everybody put it in the lyric generator. Um, but that's a great way. That's also a paired stimulus response, right? Um, so great idea, Nico. And the website for that, I just looked it up, is called washyourlyrics.com. That's, that's great. <laughs> it's really funny. It's a funny way that people are making this a social experience for their preparation. Right. And in, and in terms of social experience, let's not forget to reach out to friends and family and neighbors. And sometimes just having an open forum, discuss this with another person that validates your fears is okay. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we can remember to look at how we can help our neighbors, how we can help our family members and our friends, even though we might be panicked inside, giving accurate empathy or sympathy to another person really is that human connectedness, which again also goes back to not being self-referential with my book, but to where they looked at those blue zones where people lived well into their 90s and 100s in tip-top shape. And you know, you can Google that on your own folks, but it's one of the factors of where they looked at the top. I think it's probably changing now, but at least seven or eight factors that all of these provinces and cities and towns that were disparate throughout the world, the, one of the commonalities was social connectedness and that sense of safety and belonging. Let's help each other. Let's not stockpile. Let's help our neighbor, help our friends, take care of ourselves. When we're sick, stay home. Even if we have a sniffle, let's just be mindful. Let's talk to our coworkers and bosses and schools and teachers and friends and just say, you know, this idea of social distancing. You know, I this past weekend I had a Harvard medical conference that I go to every year 
for the last 17 years, probably 20 years, it's the Addictions Conference and it draws people from all over the world. And I saw people, instead of shaking hands, they were elbow bumping. And I had to go to a birthday party Saturday night and I had a lot of anxiety. I'm not gonna kid you, I had a lot of anxiety of, I know all these people, how do I not hug, kiss or shake their hands? And my friend that works at the Beth Israel Hospital, Mark Forrest, he's a therapist over there. You know, they have rules and regulations there. So it's easy when you're coming from a medical standpoint or an office standpoint, but just from a simple personal standpoint, you know, I think this idea of social distancing is gonna become the norm, but let's not be uncomfortable. You know, my favorite Peloton instructor, Alex Toussaint says, let's start being comfortable with being uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. All of this is very uncomfortable for us, but you know, without being dismissive, let's just find ways to be able to protect ourselves where we don't succumb to the pressures of things, but we just enact changes, like we say, that stick that are for our own personal best interest. And also just on the subject of community, make sure or if you're comfortable with spreading the facts with your friends with your family then spread the facts and make them make a point of reminding people that not everything on the web is factual and from a marketing perspective sometimes certain news outlets or websites are posting these stories for a purpose to sensationalize something so it's something that can be alarming when you first see it but it's not as alarming as it seems Yeah. And, you know, on that note, I won't give the name of the store, but I must have looked for some Clorox wipes. I basically just use them because I have two kids. So I always hose down doorknobs and refrigerator handles just because I'm preventing myself from a daily germ. But I happen to be on a site and of course they were sold out about a week ago and it said, oh, email me when the product is ready. And I got an email this morning, so I said, okay, great. Well, I'll just get a container. Thanks for the email. And it said, well, you have to have $25 to have it free shipping. So I bought some other things. And then, of course, I get an email 15 minutes later. Oh, sorry, your product is out of stock. So, you know, you're right. There are scams. Um, The other thing I did see published from a, I will have to question the source, but um, it talked about what, products have been approved to combat um, the coronavirus and or cleaning products. And I know we're all talking about Clorox and Purell, but they actually mentioned a few other ones like a specific line of Dawn uh, dish detergent. Uh, I can't say the name. I think it's Puracell or Paracel laundry detergent. And when I clicked on them, they went to a third party site to be able to purchase them. And of course they weren't even available, mm-hmm. uh, but like random places like Lowe's, you know, yeah. like, well, you can buy dish detergent down the street. Like we don't have to go to Lowe's for it. So let's just be really careful. And, and I'm not, you know, uh, no, no shape or form of my being disparaging towards any of these companies. You know, I just think it's a sign of the times and who knows where it's coming from, but Again, we just want to go back to what you just said. Let's state the facts. Let's be very mindful of, you know, spreading germs, shaking hands, taking care of ourselves when we're sick, self-quarantining, but also just continuing to live our lives and, and finding positivity. I know there's hard 
times right now, but that's also part of positive psychology. It's also part of my training for SMART. Again, stress management and resiliency training. One of our eight week sessions for SMART was positive expectation and cognitive reappraisal. And that that is an exact you know, replica of what I do every day in my practice. As a cognitive behavioral therapist, I am always challenging our cognitions like we talked about. So cognitive reappraisal, which means take the situation and reappraise it. Take the situation and reappraise it. You know, yes, maybe schools are closing, corporations are going to WebEx and work from home. Hey, well, the cognitive reappraisal is, wow, we're really trying to stop the spread of this virus. It's inconvenient, it's change and change is scary, but the cognitive reappraisal is we're trying to stop the spread of this virus, you know, and then again, positive psychology and positively looking at the expectation also proven scientifically, Benson Henry Institute, Mass General Hospital, Harvard Psychiatry, it's proven scientifically that the positive expectation also antidotes stress. So again, I can't say that enough times and that is proven scientifically cognitive reappraisal, positive expectation. And it's not, again, to be remiss or lackadaisical or not careful, but when we're finding ourselves tense, when we're finding ourselves catastrophizing or panicking, take that deep breath, try to take a second deep breath and say, okay, gentle loving kindness towards myself. The brain is doing its job by trying to protect me, but it's actually not. It's harming me right now by going down the rabbit's hole. So cognitive reappraisal, we're doing our best. We're all globally in this together. We're doing our best to stop the spread. We're informing each other of what we need to do and the positive expectation that we're gonna get through this. We are gonna get through this. So to wrap up, um, just stay positive through tough times. Even if you're home, uh, stuck at home working remotely, maybe it gives you a cognitive reappraisal positive moment to spend more time with your dog would that be a good example that's a great example (laughs) um i don't want to take our time in our podcast but uh i learned that again through my training uh you know there's been studies to support that we release oxytocin when we're around our animals and when i tried to get we use bio dots uh which are just like this little um you know, sort of gel cap that we you put on your wrist or the inside of your thumb. And the lighter color it got, like royal blue, you were in the wonderful relaxation response. And if it was black or brown, a darker color, you were in the stress-based response. And I will be completely candid. And like you like to talk about a raw moment, this was my raw moment that <laughs> weeks went by and I couldn't get my dot not to be black. And I light on my bed one day frustrated that I couldn't get it to turn and my dog of course they know when you're upset so she jumped on my bed with me and as I was petting her head and petting her head I just happened to catch where the dot was and it was royal blue so I can promise you and attest that it does work so there you go um it could be something as small as that that will really change your perspective um, during tough times so try to stay positive know the facts and share the facts and wash your lyrics. (laughs) So thank you guys for listening to the Restore Body Balance podcast. If you want to see more from us, click the subscribe button and we will see you next episode. That's right. Thanks, Nico. Bye-bye.